Well, I wonder if you ever worked with someone who took the credit every time something went well, but never took the blame if something went wrong. Or perhaps you've been uh, in a situation where uh, someone's taken the credit for something you did and never even bothered to give you a, a, a sort of mention for helping out just a little bit. I remember when I was at university, nothing was more frustrating than getting put in a group for a group assignment. And inevitably in the group assignment, you would have to pick up the slack for someone who uh, didn't do the work. Or if they did do it, they, it was better if they didn't. And at the end of the group work assignment, where this person had done uh, little to nothing helpful, they would walk away with the same mark as you. How frustrating. How outrageous, I used to think. Well, as Paul continues his letter to the Ephesians, we see that when it comes to our salvation, we need to make sure that we don't try to take the credit for that which is not our own. That is, we have not saved ourselves. Paul opens this chapter up by reminding us, actually, not only did we not save ourselves, we were in a really, 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 really bad way. We were dead. But God has intervened to bring us to life in him. Well, last week, uh, as we uh, finished off looking at chapter 1 of this letter to the Ephesians, Paul prayed that they might know the power of God which raised Jesus from the dead. And this week we see they need to know this power and we need to know this power because it's the same power that works in our lives to bring us alive with Christ uh, through faith. Verse 1 of chapter 2, As for you, you were dead, dead, in your transgressions and sins. See, often I think we think that our transgressions and our sins are, are minor problems, little inconveniences. <coughs> but Paul reminds us here, no, our transgressions and sins mean that we're dead. Though we may have breath in our bodies, our spiritual and eternal state is one of death. And in fact, Paul says that before the Ephesians met Jesus, their lives produced the fruit of dead people. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, verse 2, in the, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The dead Ephesians, dead in their transgressions and sins, were just carrying on doing the things that dead people do, following the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that is the devil, disobeying God and giving in to their sinful desires and thoughts time and time again. 
That's Paul's description of the life of the person who hasn't been made alive through faith in Christ Jesus. Dead in their transgressions and sins and just going on living out the fruit of that kind of life. And that's his description of everyone who's dead in their sins, who hasn't been made alive in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes we read this and we think, oh yeah, I kind of get that. You know, murderers are bad people and they are dead. Obviously, this is, they've sinned a lot and they've engaged in poor, poor stroke, very evil behaviour that uh, obviously is a result of them being evil people because they're dead in their sins and transgressions. We like to categorise how dead people are, how bad by how bad it is that we think it is in the ways that they have gratified the cravings of their sinful nature. And we like to think there's some sort of middle category, half dead, half alive, less deserving of wrath, less sinful, less disobedient, less going about gratifying the nature of the sinful heart. But no, Paul says, as for you, as for you who wasn't in Christ, you were dead. It's a description of every individual outside of Christ, dead in our sins, spiritually and eternally. And yet, we still are physically alive and well, walking the earth. I think of this uh, as, of what Paul's saying here, as something like a zombie movie. Uh, Anyone into zombie movies here? Uh, No? Well, you should watch one, they're kind of fun. Um, Zombies are dead, right? That's how they've become zombies. And yet, they kind of move about and they have some sort of semblance of life. They look alive, but we know they're, they're dead, the undead. But, but the reality is, they're dead. And what do, what do they do as walking dead people? They gratify the desires of their flesh by eating other people's flesh. Um, that's probably why you haven't watched a zombie movie, but nonetheless, uh, that's what happens, right? They kind of... Right? That's what happens with a zombie, just walking through life, gratifying uh, its uh, sinful nature by eating other people, making them dead and turning them into zombies. Now, you can't extend my analogy too far, right? Um, zombies don't work uh, as a, uh, if you take them in every which way. But as far as being dead but appearing alive, that's what I'm kind of talking about. And as far as having this inbuilt desire to to do what they were made to do, uh, it kind of works for me. Life without Jesus is like the zombie life. You might think you're alive because you're walking around and making decisions and doing things, but actually you're dead and your inclination is to gratify your sinful desires and the desires of this world, even if you think you might be doing a good thing again and again and again. If you're a Christian, in order to fully appreciate what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, you need to get your head around this truth, that you were dead. 
that there was nothing that you could do to contribute to your salvation. Because if you do, if you believe that it's true of you and it's true of all outside of Christ, then it makes you understand God's love and mercy on a, on a much deeper and sweeter level, doesn't it? It makes you understand the wonderful news that Paul pivots to in verses 4 and 5, where God's mercy and love has turned us from death to life. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You've been made alive in Christ. Though you were a dead zombie, God's love and grace has brought you to life. And our new life is intimately connected to the life of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Paul continues in verses 6 and 7, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Who we are as people who are made alive in Christ is intimately connected to who Christ is. Let me read to you what uh, English pastor John Stott says as he reflects on this uh, being made alive and being united with Christ in his death and resurrection, uh, what he says about this. He says, fundamental to New Testament Christianity is this concept of the union of God's people with Christ. What constitutes the distinctness of the members of God's new society? Not just that they admire and even worship Jesus, not just that they assent to the dogmas of the church, not even that they live by certain moral standards. No, what makes them distinctive is their new solidarity as a people who are in Christ. By virtue of their union with Christ, they have actually shared in his resurrection, ascension and session. In the heavenly places, the unseen world of spirituality in which the principalities and powers operate and which Christ reigns supreme, there God has blessed his people in Christ and there he has seated them with Christ. For if we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, there can be no doubt what we are sitting on. Thrones. Moreover, this talk about solidarity with Christ in his resurrection and exaltation is not a piece of meaningless Christian mysticism. It bears witness to a living experience that Christ has given us on the one hand a new life with a sensitive awareness of the reality of God and a love for him and his people and on the other a new victory with evil increasingly under our feet. We were dead but have been made spiritually alive and alert. We were in captivity, but we have now been enthroned. God has done a marvellous thing, a wonderful thing. He's taken us from death to life, from captivity to enthronement, and he's done this not because of us, but because of who he is 
a gracious and compassionate giver of gifts who has united us with Christ in the heavenlies. And so Paul can say this of new life, of the, of the new life of freedom that we have in verses 8 and 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Paul's reminding the Ephesians and he's reminding us that you've played no part in your salvation other than to accept what was already coming your way. Uh, in my life, I've been lucky enough to uh, win two free overseas holidays. So I'm never going to win anything else in my life ever again. Uh, one was a trip to the Cook Islands with Elisa, uh, and then uh, several years ago, you, some of you might remember, it was while I was here, I uh, went with a friend to Amsterdam. Both were amazing, unearned gifts. And in both cases, I didn't even know I was in the running to win them. Uh, the Cook Islands uh, was a, a, a competition I'd entered accidentally by booking a flight to Cambodia. Uh, and the trip to Amsterdam, my friend had won and he needed someone to go with him. Both were free gifts given to me and I'd done nothing to earn them. They were amazing, unearned gifts. And so it is with the life of faith in Christ. It's offered to us freely and we're a fool if we do anything but joyfully accept it. Imagine a travel agent sends me the email, hey Chris, good news, you've won a free trip to the Cook Islands, flights, accommodation, all expenses paid. And I said, no thanks, I'd rather not go to the Cook Islands for free. I actually was hoping to go to Fiji and I'd rather pay my way there myself. How foolish would that be? God's gift to us is a free, unearned gift. And when we understand our predicament and we understand the salvation that's been offered to us, we ought to do nothing but joyfully, gleefully accept all that he has done for us in Christ. And when we understand the gift that God has given us, when we understand how dead we were without Christ, when we understand how alive we will be in Christ, it makes it impossible to go around boasting, doesn't it? It makes it impossible to go, I'm a good person because I'm a Christian. If we did something to get ourselves from dead to life, then of course we could boast. If we worked hard on uh, making something, of course we can boast. And if I'd made this lectern that I'm standing behind, of course I could say, look at my master craftsmanship, how wonderful am I? But I can't say that. I can say this is a nice lectern that I have uh, been given the gift of standing behind every Sunday to preach thanks to those who've gone before me. It's a gift. I can't boast about it. It just is what it is. I contributed nothing to it. And so it is with my salvation. I rightly boast in the things that have come before. And in our salvation, we rightly boast 
not in ourselves, but in the God who has done the saving work for us. Well, Paul finishes this, this section by reminding us that though we contribute nothing to our salvation, and though it is a free gift that comes to us from God, taking us from dead to life, we still do have something to do. Because it's, it's easy, isn't it, when you kind of uh, read this to think, well, what, what, is, what do I do then? If it's all done for me, what is there to do? Well, Paul reminds us as we finish off this section that we do have a job to do. We don't earn our life in Christ. It's a gift. But it's a gift given to us with a call to something better. We've been made alive in Christ, taken from death to life. Why? Look at verse 10. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You've been taken from death to life in Christ Jesus so that you can use the gifts and talents and uh, uh, things that God has given you for God's glory and not your own. Jesus hasn't saved you from sin and death and brought you to life in him so you can go on living for yourself. He hasn't saved you so you can keep on doing all the nice things every other zombie out there is doing as they walk around and gratify their sinful desires of their flesh. He saved you to do good works for him. If you like, and if you remember our little tagline, you've been raised with Christ to live a resurrection life for God's glory. You've been called by God and brought from death to life to do good works for him. Now we'll find out more about the nature and the kind of these works as Paul continues to unpack the book of Ephesians. And I don't want to trip over myself going forward, but nonetheless, I do want to leave you with something today to, to think about. As you, if you're here today as someone who's gone from death to life in Christ Jesus, or if you're not sure about that, come and talk to me afterwards. But if you have, what is it that God is calling you to? What is the kind of resurrection life that God wants you to live? What are the good deeds he's created you to do that are going to bring him glory? And I want to suggest that uh, as I think about this more and more, uh, that it's going to roughly fall into three areas, very broadly speaking, that God has prepared for you in advance good works that involve loving him, loving others, and helping people grow in their faith, making disciples. These are the three things, I think, which help us shape our life as Christians. These are the three broad categories that define the good works we're called to do. These are the fruits of new life in Christ. So let me leave you with this question. Do you really understand, well, two questions, do you really understand how marvellous it is what God has done for you in Christ Jesus? Like, do you get it? You were dead. 
and now you're alive. And in light of that, what other good works you feel God calling you to today, this week, this month? And let's pray we'd be alert to them and step into them as we feel God's leading presence. Amen. Amen.